0: Father, thank you that that your son Jesus Christ's blood does avail for us. Apart from it, we would have no hope. And it is the reason that we can gather here tonight confident that the words we sing are heard and delighted in and bring glory to you. We pray now as we gather to hear your word that you would speak. your servants' very imperfect and feeble lips to bring the truth of the gospel clearly to your people. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, go ahead and be seated. Welcome to Epiphany. Everyone, good to have you here uh, tonight. Uh, So we're still in the season of Easter, believe it or not, in at least the liturgical calendar. Of the year, Easter goes on until June 9th, I believe it is this year, when we celebrate the day of Pentecost, and of course, Pentecost is fifty days after uh, the uh, resurrection of Jesus, and so uh, we are continuing on in that vein. And we're talking about uh, we're coming. We've been looking at John chapter sixteen lately, and really, it's sort of like um, it's sort of a passage that tells us what our, or Jesus is telling his disciples. Uh, what they can expect in their life to come as followers of his after he ascends back up to the throne what's it going to look like now to live as his disciples and tonight he is going to talk about what it what they can expect in regard to uh, to tribulation and to difficulty and to struggle in this life so with that by way of introduction let me read for you john chapter 16. Beginning at verse 23, going to verse 33, Jesus has just gotten done promising his disciples that he is going to come back again after he dies, he's going to raise again, and then this is what he says. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name, Ask and you will receive, that your joy may be full. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about. <clears throat> excuse me. I will tell you plainly about the Father on your behalf. I lost my place there in uh, just a second. Hold on. Sorry about that. Where am I I'm at here? Verse twenty-five. Oh, yeah. I'll start in verse 26 again. Uh, In that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. End of reading. So, it is the last night of Jesus' earthly ministry. He has just informed his disciples that he is going to be arrested, that he's going to be tried, that he's going to be punished, that he's going to be killed. He has told them that at his greatest hour of need, they will abandon him and, quote, be scattered away from him. To make matters even worse, Jesus promises in this text, even though he's talking about the fact that he's going to raise again from the dead, remember they don't get that, they're kind of slow to understand this. It's in this text, he also tells them that after they scatter and then he comes back, that still isn't going to mean that life's going to be all hunky-dory. In fact, he says, Well, you're going to have tribulation no matter what. You can expect to face pressure and have afflictions in this life. And indeed after he's crucified, initially the disciples are in hiding. They're afraid for what's coming next. They're pretty convinced that they're going to face the same type of treatment he did. And once Jesus does ascend to the throne, the disciples are not immune from suffering and from tribulation. They are brought before the Jewish religious leaders and the religious leaders persecute them and then they're brought before pagan and Roman officials and they're persecuted by them. And most of the apostles that Jesus Speaking to on this night will go on to be martyred and murdered in pretty horrible, gruesome ways. And so, contrary to the teaching that says you become a disciple of Jesus and you're going to live your best life now, Jesus is telling them, No, it's not going to feel that way very often. It's going to suck sometimes, it's going to be hard. Listen to the Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians, chapter 11, verses 24 to 28. Describing his life just as an apostle. Quote, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Now, in case you don't know what that means, it means that he was lashed with a whip that had pieces of glass and rock on the end of it, and his back was just torn to pieces of meat. I mean, it was was so bloody and so painful. And he says he had that five times, 39 times each time. He got that five times in his life. His back must have just been horrifically scarred. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, and night and the day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, and cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there was the daily pressure On me of my anxiety for all the churches. So why am I doing this? Well, in the same way, you can count on facing various trials and tribulations throughout this life too. Sure, it might not be to the same extent or for the same reasons, but the challenges, the afflictions, the pressures will come. And yet, Jesus says that he is going to bring peace to them in the midst of tribulation. What does Jesus tell his followers can give them peace through the hard stuff in life? Through the tribulations. Well, first of all, he tells us that through tribulation, God will answer our prayers. Now, does this mean that every single thing that we pray for or ask for from the Father will be given to us? No. Jesus says very specifically that it is uh, whatever we ask the Father for in his name. Now, what does that mean? Well, Jesus, uh, when he talks about it being in his name, it's another way of saying whatever you ask for that corresponds to my character and my will. On top of this, the, the Greek in this text suggests that this is not simply a one-time ask, but a continual, ongoing ask of the Father in Jesus' name. It's something that's persistent. So, so this is not a promise from Jesus that the, the new Lamborghini that we ask him for is guaranteed to come to us, or that we'll always be healed in this life of any illness we, we might face. As has already been noted, after all, Jesus promises in this same talk to his disciples that they they won't be spared from hardship and difficulty. What this is, is a promise that God does indeed hear and answer our prayers and will give us what we need as we pray through tribulation in accordance with the will of Christ. So, we have the opportunity to come with our needs to the Lord of the universe and trust him to give us what we need. Hebrews 4 says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Philippians 4, do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Some of you know this. A while back, I was uh, I was on a plane coming back from Seattle, Washington, when we experienced an absolutely terrifying level of turbulence. I mean, it was the most terrifying level of turbulence I've been through. I fly a lot, I've been through a good amount of turbulence, but this was so bad that we were being lifted out of our seats. I mean, it was just like And I mean, we were shaking to the core. And to make matters worse, there was a woman sitting right behind me screaming at the top of her lungs. And she wasn't the only one. There was a few throughout the plane, just like i terrified every time. The plane jolted or jerked or and i gotta tell you i mean i i have to tell you i was scared for my life i really was i truly believed like i got to a point where i truly believed i think we're going down. i really did i thought like we're going down and so what do you do like what do you do you talk about feeling completely and utterly out of control there is no things you can do as a passenger on a plane, and even if you wanted to somehow take control of the plane from the pilot, you guaranteed will only make things worse. It is the most out of control you can feel. So what do you do? Well, I prayed. I began praying that somehow God would save us, prayed that he would send a good husband to my wife. I prayed that he would send a good father to my kids. I did. I got to that point. I prayed prayed that somehow or another this would be okay. And I'm telling you At some point, in the midst of this woman screaming still at the top of her lungs, at some point, I just was flooded with peace. I can't explain it. I can't explain it except I just had this calm come over me that no matter what had happened, whether we were gonna go down in a fiery plane crash or whether we would make it home safely to my family, that because I was at peace with God, everything was going to be okay. So one of the means of peace Jesus gives us to endure tribulation is prayer, to come to Him in our time of need, which is far more than we often realize. Secondly, Jesus, Jesus gives us a reminder in this text that to have peace through tribulation, we need to see God. We need to see God the way that He's described, which is as a loving father. I'm convinced a lot of the time the reason that, that we struggle is because we have an improper view of God. That we see God as, oh, at the very least, disappointed with us, and maybe even sometimes disgusted with us. Because we we know, we know that we fall short. We know that we mess up. The kinds of things that will come into my head, the kinds of things I can find myself saying, the kinds of things I can find myself doing, makes me wonder, like maybe, maybe God at some point will just go, I'm done. But that's an improper view of God. Because Jesus says God, God calls himself your father. Now depending on your own experience with father figures, this term can be heard in very different ways. So hear it described this way because this is what it means when he hears father. When he says father, he says, quote verse 27, for the father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. So what Jesus means when he says father is most perfectly seen, I think, in the story of the prodigal son. There we see a father who, upon seeing his long-lost rebellious son, is so overwhelmed with love and compassion that he runs to his son, something unheard of in that day for a man of honor to do, and he just weeps openly out in the public, throwing the biggest party he can for his son to celebrate his return. That's what we need to remember when we face difficulty and trials in this life, when we face struggle. The father we serve is a father who loves us like that. I heard a story from Ray Cortez a while back about a pastor in Chicago. He had a son who was a really great kid all the way through high school and then suddenly about 19, 20 years old, just started distancing himself from the family. Stopped showing up to family gatherings, birthdays, stuff like that, just isolated. Eventually they come to find out he's just kind of plunged himself into the the drug culture and he's gone. And for like a year and a no contact with the family at all. Well, one night the phone rings late Saturday night, early Sunday morning. pastor is sleeping before he gets to get up to go to church. And it's the police on the other end of the phone telling him that his son's in jail. So the pastor gets out of bed, goes to the jail, bail him out, and asks for his son. And the cop says, I don't know what you're talking about. There's no one here by that name. Well, the pastor figures it's a mistake, so he goes to the jail in the next town over. Same thing. Nobody there with the son's name. Well, then by this time, it's like 4 in the morning, so the dad decides he's he's going to go downtown, to downtown Chicago, the last place where he knew his son was, was living, and this place was just everything that you imagine, you know, a, a drug-infested house to be. Door open. Mattresses splayed out everywhere on the ground, people laying around everywhere, mostly passed out, like almost all from being high. The pastor walks through the house, and in the back corner, he sees his son laying there sleeping, and his heart just breaks. So he gets down on his knees, and he kisses his son, and then walks around. About three months later, his son, out of the blue, shows up back at the house. And then a couple weeks after that. And eventually, his son gets fully integrated back into the family. And and the dad finally gets a chance to sit down with his son and says, What happened? What made you come out of all that? And the son said, Dad, you, you don't know? It was that night. You know that night that you got the call about me being arrested? That was a prank one of my friends was pulling on you and we were all laughing at you, thinking about you looking for me at the police station. But the one thing I never imagined, Dad, is that you'd ever come to the house in downtown. And we saw you coming down the street and when we did, we all jumped down on the bed pretending to be asleep. And I just knew, I just knew, when you found me, the first thing you do is kick me. But what changed me? is you kissed me. This is what God means when he says that he sees us like a father to his children. And when we recognize that, we just might have the source of peace we need to face the trials and the struggles and tribulations in life to know that our Father has our back no matter what, no matter how deep we may fall, to know that he is pursuing and chasing and loving with a never-ending love. As the Psalms so often say, they describe God as one who has everlasting love. It never ends. It just, it just never runs out. It just keeps Pouring out. There's a reason why the Apostle John, when he thinks of all the words he can use to describe God, comes down to one word: God is love. And why is it that God loves us like a lovesick father like that? Well, well, Jesus says because, because he has victory over the world. Because he's won victory. Use how he says it in our text, John 16, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Something interesting. When we think of tribulation, I think we tend to think of people... Punishing us unjustifiably, right? Tribulation is something we don't deserve. But it can also be if we're getting punished justifiably. It's still just as much of a trial, of an ordeal to endure the punishment. Here's what I mean. None of us, including the apostles themselves that Jesus is speaking to that night, has a perfectly clean slate at all. We we all have a past. Some of us have a past that we're deeply ashamed of that the world around us might even be able to remind us about. And because of this, we we can easily be paralyzed under nearly constant guilt and shame. The devil likes nothing more than this, obviously, since his very name actually means accuser, he's the accuser of the brethren. After all, I mean, if he if he can't stop you from being saved by God, he can at least make the whole experience while you're living here pretty miserable, or at least try to. So he can drudge up some old sin, some old habit, some old thing you've done and just remind you of it and maybe bring a few people in your life to remind you of it so that you feel weighed down by it and burdened by it, unable to walk in the freedom the gospel is supposed to bring you. I have a few things like that myself. I'll be open with you. I can think about when I was an elementary school kid and there was a a boy that I had befriended, that had befriended me, we played together all summer long, and then we got in school together, and I realized very quickly that he was not seen as cool by the other kids. Well, you don't realize it, you might not think about it, but it starts pretty early. You, were, you realize there's a food chain even in elementary school. And so during recess, I would join him with the other kids and pick on them. But then after recess, I would feel so bad about it that I would come up to him and whisper, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I won't do it again. And then the next day would come, and I'd do it again. Or there was that person in junior high that I always found it easy to make fun of. How I've said that thing and I wish I didn't to my kids, or I did that thing and I wish I didn't with my wife. I mean, the, the, there's no end to the list of things that I can tell you I'm guilty of. And, and every one of us can be prone to that and it can be paralyzed. All of sin falls short of the glory of God, and I have found that this is extraordinarily common for Christians to struggle with. I know it's not just me. Well, in case, in case that is the case that you too. Listen. The word Jesus is you, Jesus uses for overcome in our text here can actually be translated conquer. And it was often used, and this is really key, it was often used in the context of court cases when a person was on trial for a crime, but was declared innocent because of the work of their defense attorney. When the verdict was pronounced, he would be said to have overcome in the case or conquer in the case prevail in the case so when Jesus says take heart I have overcome the world he is not simply encouraging us by saying hey I rule over everyone he is more specifically saying I have conquered over whatever the world can justifiably convict you of can justifiably remind you of what would it be for these apostles right here think about what he tells them they're going to do When I'm crucified, you're going to scatter. You're going to abandon me. You're not going to be here for me. You know how many times they may have been reminded about that in their minds and from other people? Where were you when Jesus was on the cross? You left, you ran away, you abandoned him? Jesus said, "Mm mm-mm. That's not the final word. He is reminding us of what he's done for us in the heavenly court, that though we have been charged, deservedly so, is guilty falling short Christ Jesus has fulfilled the law in our place he stands in your place and conquers the accusations that plague you he stands in the gap for you at the cross and says I have taken the punishment already for these sins and have conquered sin, death and hell for you and the Father, therefore, declares you to be completely and totally forgiven, righteous, and free. Jesus is essentially saying to his apostles and to you and I tonight, you want to have peace when the world lobs your sins in front of your face? Remember that I'm in your corner. As First John 2, 2 says, he is the advocate for us. Remember, I've overcome. I've conquered. I've prevailed for you. This is why, in closing, Martin Luther could say with such confidence: When the devil throws your sins in your face and declares that you deserve death and hell, here's how you here's how you should respond. I admit that I deserve death and hell. What of it? For I know one who suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, Son of God. And where he is, there I shall be also. Period. End of issue. End of story. And therefore, peace through tribulation. That's great. Father, it is easy for us to forget our standing with you, forget where the source of our peace lies. I pray that you would help us dwell there, Father, especially now as we prepare our hearts to come to your table, may you give us hearts that receive the very things that we need, the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. He taught us to pray with one voice, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory. Forever and ever.